Live to digital audio from the Hummel and Fred storefront studios in Toronto, Canada. If it sounds like I'm losing my voice, I am. Hello, Timmy. Hello. How are you? I'm good. You know, I wish you were here um, for this uh, this edition of Swing Thoughts, and I'll tell you why. Because this is like in the you know in the movies they talk about magic time, like that perfect light. You're a photographer. You know what I'm talking about. Oh yeah. Well, right now in the Swing Thoughts studios, it's like this uh, beautiful light on a summer's night. It's almost like we have our own little FM station. Hey, brothers and sisters. This episode brought to you by TaylorMade. <laughs> Love it. I'm grooving on that action. TaylorMade, the number one driver in golf. Saw Tim O'Connor hit his new uh, PSI irons. Pretty impressive. Although they're M1. And, no, they're M2. Oh, I'm sorry. Let me start that. <laughs> well, they're tailor-made. What? <laughs> that, was, boy, that was going too smoothly. Um, well, let me tell you. I saw Tim O'Connor play his uh, tailor-made M2 irons. Pretty impressive. I'm liking them. I am. I'm liking them. <laughs> and we played a couple I, weeks ago uh, at Club Link. Of course, Club Link, one of our other sponsors, um, yeah. And it turns out that was the very first time we'd played med- men's night together with our sponsorship. Yeah. It was fun to hear it. It was fun to hear it. Glenn Karen say men's night brought to you by Swing Thoughts. And we were actually, you know, I was there. That was fun. That was cool. So, yeah. Also want to mention. I was actually thinking of, I was thinking of the light. We were talking about the light thing. I was thinking about like. Late Sunday during the Masters, when the light just comes in, and it always seems to be the perfect light just streaming in, and the grass seems greener than green could possibly be. As the uh, sun is setting in Toronto, the walk up the hill, here comes Tim O'Connor, author of his uh, a new book. I wanted to mention this off the top, uh, Timothy, the revised Mo Norman, The Feeling of Greatness. And Tim has uh, done a lot of work on that book. Why don't we take a second here? Uh, and, t- and tell people, because a lot of people have heard of the book uh, when it came out. I think it came out in, was it 96? Uh, 95. 95. Yep. So it came yeah. out in 95. With uh, It was uh, widely um, uh, received or well-received. And now all these years later, what's different about the new book? Cool. Um, well, it's the last book was something like 200 and. 18 pages, and this one stretches out to 336. Now, Tim, do you so, get paid by the page? Is that why you made this one longer? Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> no, there's just more stuff. I mean, um, so it's a second edition, so I revised the front end of it, the introduction, but mostly the back end. The, um, the middle part, we updated some things, uh, corrected the mistakes <laughs> that were in the, the original one. But largely, what I wanted to do was bring, bring kind of closure to Mo's life. So the book came out in 1995 when Mo was 65, and a lot of very cool things happened in the last nine, ten years of his life. So I really wanted to tell that part of uh, his life. Um, I want to tell that story, and a lot of really amazing things happened. Uh, that's when he got the, the Titleist deal. 
that they paid him five grand a month just for being Mo, kind of as a as a thank you for playing Footjoy and um, Titleist for his whole career. Uh, he got the Canadian Golf Hall of Fame. I uh, appeared on the cover of uh, Golf Digest. Um, so, Timmy, if I may just say, so needless to say, there's lots of great stuff in there. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, if people are, everyone's interested in a fan of Mo Norman. But, you know, I love the first book, and I think people are going to love this one. And uh, where is it available? And we'll plug it again at the end of this thing. But let's, I, I, yeah. don't want, I didn't want to cut you off, but we, I want people to buy the book. Uh, and there's really a lot of good stuff in it. Where is it available? Well, right now it's Amazon. And uh, you can also find it if you go to the Graves Golf Academy website. But Amazon.ca. Um, and, you know, we're doing that thing where you're talking to Barnes and & Noble in the States and chapters in Canada. And uh, so so Amazon, where you get everything these days, don't you? Excellent. Um, so that's cool. It's interesting. The, uh, the name of the book is The Feeling of Greatness. And um, sort of it's interesting that. You know, well, a lot of people that listen to this show and uh, a lot of people that we talk to, it's always this like, what is, it's this battle in golf between do, do I get enjoyment from only playing great golf or is there another game to be played and is there enjoyment to be had regardless of the score on the card? Mm-hmm. And isn't that kind of the, you know, the, the raison d'etre of this uh, award-winning podcast, Swing Thoughts, that... It's the struggle between what is the feeling of greatness in golf. And, and in, in that title of the book, it's almost like the double entendre is that it's the feeling of physical greatness. But there's a, a feeling of greatness of golf enjoyment, I think, that he got. I don't know if people talk about it. I, I believe he loved the game of golf like somebody Absolutely. loves uh, a partner. Absolutely. I think, actually, what... I'll tell a quick story in that um, about the the title. And so when I was doing the book originally in 1995, um, I didn't have a title, and I was kind of like, oh, what, the, "What the heck are we going to call this thing?" And then I had um, Mo was supposed to talk in front of this PGA summit, like thousands of guys, and all these people wanted him to go. He didn't want to do it. He's just way too shy, and all these people were pressuring him. And I was down in Florida, and uh, where he hung out at Royal Oak, and I had to ask him about it. And basically, he, we were in the restaurant there, and he got up, he got upset, and um, he kind of roared down to the parking lot. And I came, you know, kind of racing after him, and oh boy, I got more all mad and everything, and like upset, like sad. And I just started talking to him, asking him, I said, "What do you?" You know, we looked at pictures of Pebble Beach and all this stuff, and he was—he kind of really came into a really beautiful space, and and he just said, you know, I have the feeling of greatness. I have the feeling that no one else, millions of people play golf. I'm the only one who who really has it. You know, and you can't buy it with money or anything like that. And um, I went, the feeling of greatness—that's the title of the book, uh, that right there. And so the book came out in '95, uh, and then in the years after, I I honestly went. What does that really mean? I, I didn't really know what it meant, and um, I kind of thought greatness. It was kind of like a weird word to start with, and the, the feeling of it. And as I went back into to researching the book and talking to a lot of his friends, I really got to understand that it wasn't as much about the physical side, about making a perfect swing. I think for Mo, golf was a very uh, a spiritual thing, and in which he was just. Um, 
kind of merged with Ball and Club and Sky and Target, and he just was in this beautiful place when he hit when he hit a golf ball. You know, whether he was united with, you know, Divine or whatever, and actually turned out that Mo was rather spiritual. But I just think that when Mo was hitting the golf ball, he was in his place of peace and comfort and safety, and um, it was just this unification of his whole being, if you will, um, that that really was his feeling of greatness. Is everything from making a a good putt to hammering a drive. He just felt everything was just in a, in a beautiful space for him. So to me, that's what Mo's feeling of greatness was about. So taking it away from the Mo book and kind of what I was trying to get to is, you know, it's ironic that that was the name of the book, but it was sort of as a transition to talking about some of the things on on today's show for, uh, you know, some of the people that are listening. And one of the things I thought was interesting is that you sent me an email and we don't have to say who it was, but I thought it was interesting that somebody heard something on the show, whether it was for me or you, but that it was kind of interesting that it's, that the thing is, it's an organic, living, breathing thing. That, you know, some there's some sharing going on between ourselves and, and some of the audience. And it was funny because I was, you know, playing golf today on the day that we record this with one of our other um, Swing Thought Hundy Peas, Rudra. Oh, yeah. And um, it was interesting because Rudra got to see me play a match. I had a match play match today. I'll... Get into it later if you want. But my, my point is the feedback that we're getting about the things we're talking about, it's interesting to sort of feel a little bit of connection with people. What do you think of that? Oh, absolutely. Well, um, yeah, it's, it's really cool. Like Craig Capito, uh, who's at uh, he's director of golf or whatever titles they use at Clublink now uh, at Ravi, he says that people are listening to the, to, the, to the podcast. They really enjoy it. They find it entertaining, but they're also – Finding that it, it helps them with their game. There's well, that's this, what I'm. That's what I mean. It's interesting that exactly right. Yeah, it's like this conversation that you and I have now been having. <clears throat> excuse me for. Um, well, it's into our second year, maybe even second and a half year. Is the conversation? I think a lot of people were were already having it. Uh, I don't think we're unique in that way, but it's almost it's interesting because I. I can't remember on the last show or if you and I were talking about this on the phone, but I was at the national invite. And uh, if I've already told the story, but one of the kids sitting next to me, I didn't know who it was, just turned to me and said, I, I love your show. And I was right away, of course, I think, you know, the Humble and Fred show. And I thought, well, that's weird. Kid's a little young for that. <laughs> and and uh, he said, no, the, the Swing Thoughts. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah, that's very cool. Uh, yeah, getting that feedback um, myself, people are, um, are asking about the show a little bit more. And uh, it was so cool to hear that one of the uh, – the guys that I coach, um, he was playing in his club C and, um, you know, club C's are notorious for, you know, extra pressure and, you know, guys blowing People up gagging their face off and, you exactly. know, having to change their underwear before they tee off. Yeah. I, I always love hanging around the, uh, the range on the second day of the club C. You know, how'd you, how'd you do? Uh, 101. Made it 11 on 7. No, of course. No, actually, Tim, let me interrupt. My favorite is the day before the club C. Because people that have never practiced the entire summer oh, are yeah, there yeah, yeah. almost, and I always laugh because it's like they're cramming for an exam. <laughs> they think if they go to the, on that Friday, whatever it is, they think if they go to the range and just spend four hours and do everything they should have been, doesn't matter. It's too late. Yeah. 
Yeah, exactly. Tonight, I'm going to work out my little soft draw <laughs> So my driver. one of your clients, who's a fan of the show, yeah, heard well, us talking the about the the metaphor of wearing big boy pants. Yeah, where, like, you just, you play like a mature person, and there's no, you know, you don't get all sulky and angry or, you know, I give up type of stuff, but playing every shot in, and he, he, uh, he ended up shooting 78, 79, finished third. And uh, first time he'd ever, he'd ever finished that high, and he said it was you talking about what happened in your uh, in your mid am that you were grinding out for double and stuff, and 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 how that makes a huge difference. It makes a difference in your mindset through your whole game, not just the odd time that you know, you, you pop one in the woods and you, know, you have to deal with that. But it permeates your whole game. You know, it's interesting, Tim. I wanted to throw something at you. The the idea that and you and you know I don't know if people know you you work out fairly regularly and, you, and you've been a guy that's kept in shape for most of his adult life. Trying. Well, my point about it is, you know, you wouldn't start trying to get in shape and then instantly think, well, after one session or one game, I should be in shape. And what I've noticed about you know my own progression, and I think other people would agree as well, that because I practice this a little bit each time that over time I have trained myself like and I had this realization the other day that it didn't happen in one day it's taken a couple of golf seasons to get to the point where I just don't feel and I'll use this word fragile I don't feel as fragile as I once did on the golf course and I, I know it's not masculine to say that but a lot of guys feel that way in their golf game, and I and I know for shit's sake they do. Oh, a hundred percent. And you and you agree, don't you? Yeah, I've been through it a lot myself, and um, the, the so much confidence. Sometimes confidence is, is a fragile thing. It's a perfect word because it can be going along great, but and then something goes wrong, and all of a sudden, like the 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 that smooth uh, putting stroke suddenly becomes more of a jab and or the you know, the driver just you know start hitting from the top or something because there's a lack of trust uh often that that's what happens and uh but it's there's there's kind of like a distance uh you know talking about say maturity people what better players are able to do is put a distance between themselves and their golf game and you know because when your identity rides on your ability to play you know if, I, if i'm a good guy when i shoot 76 right uh but i'm a but i'm a jerk when i'm 86 wow that that's a roller coaster it's just there's too much going on there for people to be able to just ride that you know safely during during a game and let me just jump in tim time. tim just yeah. let, me, let me just jump in there you know and it's funny that fragility of number i'm a good guy at this number i'm a bad guy at that number everybody listening has had the experience of Having a decent game, and let's say that's, you know, a good game for you is 83, but you miss a putt in the last hole to shoot 84, and that one stroke can piss you off. Absolutely. Like, it's, it's, um, it's absurd, but that's why I wanted to bring it up, because I think everybody listening has felt that way. Now, what did you think about when I said that it's a thing, it's a thing you need to train? Because I feel like I have trained myself, and over time I've got into better mental shape. Oh, 
I, I absolutely believe with you. It, it kind of goes with the thing, like, I repeat ad nauseum. you got to get your reps in. It takes a long time. See, we all have these kind of ways of being, these habits, these, these behaviors that we've carried through most of our lives. And so the same things that dog us on the golf course are the same things that get, get in our way in our relationships and our work. And so we may become aware of these things and finally kind of go, okay, I want to change this. Well, you don't change it by flicking a light switch and just because you, 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 uh, you are aware of it. You have to start living with it and integrating it. And that takes a lot of work because you kind of get, you can get, things can go well when they're going good. You know, it's easy to ride this, this thing, but when it goes bad and you get frustrated and stressed, it, it's easy to get knocked off. And I, but, and I, and I'm just letting you know that, you know, I'm, I'm, I have felt stronger this tournament season than I ever have. And the, the strength I feel, and, and you've, listen, we played a couple of weeks ago. I didn't have a particularly great scoring day, but I feel now playing golf, and I don't feel as fragile as I once did. I just don't. I feel like, come what may, I'm still going to be okay. Mm-hmm. And, it, you know, I mean, I think you even observe that when you're around me on the golf course. Yeah, yeah, I see it in the way you're in your posture and the way you react. Um, you know, when you hit, hit hit like a, a shot that's offline, it's not like uh, your body doesn't kind of go into this spasm or anything. <laughs> you know, you can just see. It. I, you know, it's just people. You can just see it right away, kind of like in their energy. Oh you know, my God! The yes, shoulders slope and the the head just kind of goes like like down and you know, the, the, you know might slam the. The driver into the tee. All that stuff. You know, I, I was yeah. going to tell you, you know, there. I don't know if you've ever observed it. Observed it. I don't know if you've ever observed it, but, you know, I have I have in my in seen me do it, but I have been so instantly pissed off at a golf shot that that I honestly wanted to punch myself. I joke. Like, I said, you, people yeah, think right. I'm kidding when I say I've wanted to punch myself in the face. But I'm going to tell you, my demeanor isn't isn't put on it's like it's just served me well the last five or six weeks you yeah. know i mean well, you can, it, it, that's like a metaphor that works for everybody everyone you know so you want to say punch yourself in the face other people call themselves all kinds of names you know you idiot yeah. and, and and just stomp off or you know uh toss a club or you know or i love i love that kind of like you know, when you kind of drop the ball, like if you three putt or something like that, you drop the ball and poof, you know, off into the woods. Oh yeah, exactly. It's, it's all the same thing, but basically, what what's going on there is that you're having this little spike and of emotion, and it's a hit that you take, and in in very real terms, it's happening in your body with uh, cortisol. You're releasing the stress hormone cortisol, and so if you can just kind of instead of spiking and just kind of make it more of just this gradual wave, you just become that more resilient and you're able to to just bounce back that much easier. Um, it's what it's the peaks and valleys that are harder to, to climb out of. Because you lose, well, it's, it, you also lose your focus. You lose your your sense of feel. You know, it's like a whole mind body thing that goes on when you you know. You get angry, or you go the other way, and you, you just kind of almost like lose interest uh, and start kind of just bashing it around. 
So um, I'm just trying to think what I was going to. Tr- I was saying there. There's a point there I wanted to ask you about, and now I can't remember. Um, Old guy radio. Well, I'll tell you from personal experience. You know the. Um, here's a great analogy. If you give up, then well, in, in both scenarios there are guarantees, and there are no guarantees. If you don't give up, you can't guarantee you're going to uh, turn a bad round around or be less nervous or rebound after a bad swing. There's no guarantee. But I can tell you from personal experience, if you become so attached to a bad shot, a bad hole, a bad series of holes, if your attachment is so acute as mine used to be, what, you, what you're doing is you're carrying all the holes and all the shots with you. And that's why when you see people play poorly, their posture is slumping because psychologically they're still carrying all that stuff around. And all these things, excuse me, all these things that we've talked about, you know, in terms of posture, eyes up, all the little, little things that we've done in the show here, you find that over time you start to leave some of that behind. So there's no guarantee you're going to play better with a, a better attitude, but there is a guarantee that if you mope and that and you sulk, it, things will not turn around. So that is the yeah. guarantee. Yeah, you, you're carrying all that. Mm-hmm. You're carrying like really negative energy. Mm-hmm. Uh, your thoughts. You're going into evaluation and judgment. And as soon as you start doing this uh, self-referencing thing, it's like when we talked with Judson Brewer. You become contracted. Yes. You, you come internalized. And thus, you are unable to really see what's out in in front of you. You don't listen to your partners very well. You kind of half listen because you got this dialogue that's going in your head, and you just miss out on things. And the, and the game is played out there. Right. So I want you to I want you to chew on this concept. I want you to sure. uh, react to this and and just leave a little space here. So, you know, this is something to do a little bit of some of the work you do away from golf. I think that golf. The reason it's so difficult, not just physically, but it's difficult, all these things we're talking about, is because it exacerbates our natural self-consciousness. You know what I mean? Like, a lot of guys are afraid to admit that part of what they don't like about playing golf, even forget tournament golf, because tournament golf is what I'm about to describe times a million, is the mm-hmm. is being a little, they don't like to... They worry more about what other people think than they'd like to admit. So far, so good? Oh, absolutely. Yep. So what I think we've taught or we've talked or we've you know, coached during this series is kind of in a way to give less shits what anyone else, what anyone else thinks of your golf game. And then you can focus kind of on enjoying it and get out of your own way without that weird shadowy like, oh, I wonder... Because I will tell you something, Tim. When I first met you a year and a half ago, if you and I were to play golf on a Wednesday night, I would be distracted by what you thought of my game. And I must tell you now, without you know, um, with all due respects, I don't give a shit what you think of my game. Yeah, great. But it's taken a long time to get to that point. And here's the final part of this puzzle, and then you can take it from here. The joke is... Always on us because it turns out that the other people aren't thinking about our golf game at all. They're wondering what people are thinking of their golf game. Oh, absolutely. Which is hilarious to me. Yeah, I know. It is a big joke. 
You know, I'll give you yeah, quickly. I'll tell you, my friend. I have a buddy. He's a good little radio guy named Jeff Lumby, and he he hates when other people watch him tee off. And I always say, Jeff, no one cares about your swing. They're just worried if they're gonna you know hit it over the water hazard themselves. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And what yeah, do you think of all that, sir? I agree with it a hundred percent. You know, and a lot of it comes from we. It's, I think it's part of our culture. It's our natural way of... of yes. Unfortunately, the way it would be is that we we all seeking external validation. You know, we're, you know we, want, we want to have the nicest car so that someone will look at my car and I'll have, a, a, you know, a nice house, um, you know, the right clothes, um, and that people will compliment us on, on this type of thing. Um, it's just... It comes through our... our you know, social media comes through TV, comes through through everything. Is that how do we stack up? How do we compare? So, if this is what we view as what's going on there, we're also doing it to ourselves. So, there's all this judgment going on. So, so how do you kind of be in this world with any kind of grace and flow? If I'm always in this position of comparing, evaluating, exactly. Judging, if I may just, you know, how many people, have you ever had this, somebody say this to you? Let's say like, um, oh, you don't want to play with me. And I'll be like, why? Oh, well, you know, I'm not that good. But, and I, use, I always say like, no, I, I don't care. Well, let's just have fun. But that's a real issue for some people in this game. Absolutely. Absolutely it is. Because, again, they equate so much of the way we look at ourselves is, is, you know, if I make a certain amount of money, I'm a success. If I don't have this amount of money, I'm not a success. If I Hang on there, Stan. Stan's freaking out. You know, by the way, just to dovetail on what you're saying, isn't it funny? I've met Stan. Some of the richest people that I've ever met on a golf course are so self-conscious about how bad they are. Except the really, really rich people don't give a shit. They, you know, they, I, I, like the, the, the most, the richest person I ever played with that was a horrible golfer did not care. But I've met a lot of wealthy people that are very shy about their golf games. And it's sort of weird, you know? Mm-hmm. Well, you know, what's interesting is, uh, you know, to kind of bring it back to Mo Norman a bit, what Mo struggled with was that how he felt judged by people and when he's, hit, he's hitting a golf ball he felt completely safe and one thing he knew that no one they were right as well as well as him but it really it really most, did speak to his self-worth it was the one thing that he could sort of cling to that made him feel normal right but i think yeah. it also speaks to what i said golf exacerbates our natural self-consciousness I see it all the time, and I've experienced it. But I've noticed as I've gotten, you know, back into tournament play the last couple of years, and I've had a little bit more success, and I've held up under some situations and, and excelled at times, but at all times, never gave up. I mean, you know, yeah, you said something interesting. I know what it was about it's always good. It's easy to do all this stuff when times are good, and you have a couple of pars in a row, and isn't life great, and you start talking to your buddies, but then you have a couple of doubles, and all of a sudden, you know, you're, be, you know, you're being introverted. And you know what I mean? We've all seen that. Oh, absolutely. You know, it, 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 yeah, it goes on and on. And it's really unfortunate that it's that because yeah, really, because no one, no one really cares how you're playing, and it's a total lack of, of perspective. But you know, we we go out there. Generally, most people 
who are really avid golfers. They work on their games. And so when you start playing some bad golf, there may be some natural, say, disappointment. I get it. No one goes out there to to, to play, you know, hit the ball willy-nilly. And, and be and, miserable and sour. Yeah, exactly. but, but we will get disappointed. But it's how resilient we are in the face of all adversity. May that's I say true, the word? That's, may, that's true character. May I say the word? It's not just resilience. It's resilience slash acceptance, because I think acceptance is the secret sauce of resilience. And, yeah, and that, that, that chemical reaction you described so nicely about that cortisol rush after a bad shot or uh, three or four good holes in a row and all of a sudden you make a bad shot and all of a sudden you're like, oh, man, and all that stuff. That, that, is, that is, not, is the opposite of acceptance. It's attachment. And, and my focus the last couple of years has really been to my process and acceptance. And I got to tell you, like it didn't, it took a while. Like it was, it were, there were a lot of things that were planted last summer that I see now starting to, you know, bear some fruit. I, I'm sorry about that analogy, everyone. That's the hokiest thing I've ever said. But, um, <laughs> no, you said a lot more hokey things. Than oh, that. please. Hey, mister. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? We're, so let me just finish what? this point. Okay, go ahead, go ahead. Can I just finish this yeah. point? Um, yes, you may. Yes, you may. So what I've seen in terms of the, the payoff to all of this is that the the acceptance, the process, the all the things, the target and the posture and eyes up and tr- nutrition, all these things have slowly come around for me. You know, I know we talked about me in the mid-am. You know, since that time, I, you know, I played in the club championship, the senior club championship, you know, had a lot of pressure situations, did well, lost in a playoff. The next day, I played the senior am qualifier, was just, you know, having a pretty rotten round, a lot of other things going on. You know, I was pretty burned out from the weekend. And at some point, I told you this, at some point I said to myself around the 14th or 15th hole, Howard, whatever you do today, don't give up. I was tired and I was out of energy and I really wasn't playing very well. But I, th- I just said, I don't care what happens. Just leave, let's leave the golf course knowing that you tried. And long story short, I finished birdie birdie to qualify by one. But the point is, if I had given up at that point, and I could have made some good excuses, my friends would have understood. I could have said, well, you know, a lot of tournament golf, blah, 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 club championship. But you know, one of the things we've talked about in the show before is not writing your story on the golf course until it's over. Because that happens to a lot of people. Third hole, triple bogey. What do they say? Well, there goes the day. And that story's written. But I just gave myself, and again, I know I'm painting myself as the protagonist in this story, but it's true. I gave myself a chance for something good to happen. It wasn't guaranteed to happen, but as long as I was thinking, hey, no problem, bud, let's just (laughs) keep on going. It puts you in a frame of mind of, of possible, not impossible, not probable, by the way, but possible. Yeah. Come on, O'Connor. That's good shit. That's awesome. Jesus. You are. A, you're a tough crowd, man. No, no, no it's, it's really good stuff. And, mm. and what's really cool about it, there's, there's two things that come out of this. One is, in all honesty, you had to suffer to get to this state. Because you you spent a lot of time in golf hell, and because you really care about your game, so that so 
the the cost of that is that you would, would get emotionally attached to your game and what happened the the benefit was that you'd work your butt off but when you like really suffered you like this is not going well and I'm getting worse and worse that there's out of the suffering comes the that's where you actually get the the epiphany and you start to see that this old way isn't working this, this, this well you, you're right much. it was it was it obvious to me much. that I couldn't continue that way it wasn't very much fun that's right but it's just like you know, it's it's crude, but it's almost like the alcoholic hitting rock bottom. It's someone just saying that you know these behaviors do not serve me. Mm-hmm. You know, and no, I don't I, think I think it's an a, listen. I think it's an apt analogy. I mean, you're you're in business. We have the show because a lot of people are, you know, not having a great time doing this game they supposedly love. A lot of people are getting close to bottom, or a lot of people are recognizing that the way they're going about this isn't going to serve them well for the like i mean listen you don't have to get as as bummed out as me but if you can learn from some of these things you don't have to get to the point where you're grinding five irons into the pavement yeah but a lot of people that's where actually change really only happens um when people feel almost at a point of hopelessness that they want to give up uh that this game is too freaking hard uh you know and and they go like you know, they kind of go, really, they, I think a lot of people give very uh, serious thought to, okay, you know what, this isn't worth it. I've invested too much time, too much money. I come out to the eight, to the first tee too many times. Yeah, you know, Tim. You know, like, today's the day, and it's not the day. Tim, I'm going to tell you, that, that, that little thing you just brought up, that's a super nugget because I can't tell you how many stories I have heard over... 45 years of doing this where where human beings so dislike a game <laughs> they're, they're willing they literally will verbalize that they're ready to give it up that i've never heard someone say you know what this ping pong is destroying my marriage <laughs> yeah, no, yeah no absolutely oh you know, hey tim you know did yeah. you hear about howard he's he was bowling too much and his wife left him golfers you know are the only ones that are this twisted into the depths of insanity, dude. Yeah, I don't know. I, I, I might challenge you a bit, but I just think golfers are more, uh, maybe a bit more prone to it. I, you know, I don't hear about uh, fishermen who like, come home sulking and, you know, uh, skunked again, I'm giving it up. You know, I'm going to sell the boat, give the rods away, whatever. But golfers, this happens to golfers all the time. Yeah, that's um, what I just said. Yeah, yeah, and, and what I'm what I'm saying. So what is what is that, the part you don't don't agree with? Because you actually just said the exact same oh, I thing. Think that, I, no, I think that there's probably some very avid ping pong. Okay, people. forget that though. But that's not the point. The point is yes. it, that the point is the how common. Like you'd think you'd think that would be a rare thing. Is my point that that. Uh, it's the charm. It's the attraction of the game that it is the unsolvable um, puzzle. But. In, and by the way, my experience is playing in tournaments. It doesn't matter if you're a tournament player or you aspire to one, but I would say even in the everyday country club, go out and have fun and play, that Tim, you know, the, thing that, the things that you talk about, the things that I talk about, that our guests talk about, can actually help you to whatever little degree that, you would, that the, the payoff isn't necessarily you'll score better, the payoff is you'll enjoy whatever score you happen to have that day, 
and probably you'll score better too. And I think you'll actually enjoy your life a lot more. Well, absolutely. I'm, I'm dead serious about that. And I'm dead serious in my agreements of that. There we go. We're, we're seriously in agreement. Um, <laughs> I, the, so many of the, of the, what stems from golf is not that we talked about last time. It's not from lack of trying. It's actually trying generally too much and just carrying way too much baggage around with us, um, particularly our, our identification. And once we sort of get that sense of detachment in the sense that, you know, this really doesn't matter. It's almost like playing like um, it's being able to hit the ball and, and, and say, okay, that didn't go where I wanted it to go. Does that mean I'm a bad person? No. But it's from the it's from the adversity that we that we get the learning in this game. And I agree. But no one becomes a better player without having really um, suffered from it. It's it's really rare. Um, you know, the natural athlete who just picks it up and, and off they go. Well, no, and it's it's not even the it's it's rare to be good at this in any way. But what I what I think people should take away from today's show and others is that there is. There's good there's good stuff in this even if you're not going to go to the you know point of hiring you know a mental performance coach which by the way I would I would totally recommend for anyone that's serious about getting better I, I would say this for anyone that's serious about enjoying the game more for sure Tim and people like Tim can help you but for sure if you want to become a tournament player which I know a lot of the guys that you see do they, they, you know, it's not just new golfers and whatever. You're, you're seeing a lot of guys that, that want to, they want to take their game, which they think is pretty good. They've got some belief in it at the, at the, at the own club level, and they want to see if they can make it travel a little bit, because there is a lot of, there's a lot as we, you know, Bobby Jones said this a hundred years ago. You know, there's tournament, there's golf, and then there's tournament golf. And as I said yeah. at the beginning of the show, I said some this the idea that. There's that natural self-consciousness, and then you put yourself in a tournament. And that's why the second day of the club championship, guys are talking about 11 that they made on a hole. They haven't made an 11 since they were 12 years old. Because that self-consciousness just jumps up. Yeah, everything is, everything is heightened, and, and, and there's, there's more anxiety, there's more tension, um, more trying to do everything right. Like we've, we've used that phrase more than a few times. Um, what's really interesting is, well, the thing that jumps out at me recently with a number of the people I've spoken to, these people are like, a lot of the people who are phoning me these days are like two handicaps and stuff now. And they are like distraught. You know, with their games, and you know these. You know, they're distraught that they shoot seventy six rather than being able to shoot sixty nine. And you know, they, you know, people would think that, oh God, if you can shoot that, you must be in nirvana. No, it's the same level of struggle whether you're trying to break a hundred, ninety, eighty, or break seventy. Um, but unless you can really take a look at kind of that inner game of what's going on with you, you're. Most of the time, people are just prone to get in their own way, particularly if they learn the game as an adult. And they bring the same way of being that they bring from in their work life to their golf. And that is, I'm going to study this thing, I'm going to work my butt off, I'm going to do it right. I'm going to, um, and, and it's just finding this balance between just being able to 
learn and, and then let it be able to let it go and be okay with however it shows up. What I think is interesting is how many guys have got to single-digit handicaps and can sort of get it you know, done around their own course and yet you know, go across the street to just another golf course and call it a tournament and they can't break 80. I mean, I, I was one of those guys. You know, yeah. and as far as you know, a, a two or a one handicap, I mean, I've said this a thousand times on the show. I have the same... I had the same visceral reaction to shooting 75 some days as somebody listening shooting 95. It's it's no different. And I know everyone would go, wow, man, if I could just do that. I mean, the other day I played um, a club link course called Barry National. And for I was with a friend and a couple people we joined up with, and I was just having a nice day. And I found myself two under par with five holes to go. And all of a sudden, no word of a lie, all of a sudden I said to myself, wow. I could shoot 67 today. That's all I thought. And then for two holes, I, w- I sort of abandoned ship because I went bogey bogey. And yeah. I was kind of like, well, that's what happened. As opposed to going, well, I, I could shoot 67 today and then just let it go. So, yeah, you know, and I, I finished uh, par par birdie for 71. And it was great. Nice. It was great. But. You know, what I will have taken back, taken from that is, and we've talked about this privately and on the show, what I should have thought was, wow, I could shoot 67. Cool, Howard. Let's let's think about that later. Now, what, what do you want to do on this shot? And even though I thought I did that, I still had this, I still hadn't let that evaporate. Right. So, so that's, that's the part of the learning. Yeah. That, that's the hard, hard part of the game is this. Is, is once we get ourselves in, it's not wrong to think about stuff like that. You know, don't kid yourselves. Uh, you know, PGA Tour players, um, you know, they think about what happens if I win this. But what they, they've got so much experience at dealing with those situations. They mm-hmm. know what they need to do because they've been through them. So now you've shot, you know, last year you shot a nice 69. Uh, now you're, you're in a place where you could shoot like a, you know, it, you thought about maybe a 67. Mm-hmm. Well, the next time that you're in that spot, you'll have a little bit more grit. You'll have a little bit more ability to deal with it uh, because you will have learned from it. And that's what, that's what you know, really good players well, do. It's just they learn and they learn and they learn. No, you said something there. You, you, you know, that word you used... Uh, and we're almost uh, done here, so let's just uh, let's uh, look at kids. We're going to do about another five to eight minutes. So what you said, that word, that I love it, is the word grit and, 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 and learning. But what grit means to me is it's almost a little bit of resilience, back to your word. It, it's, and as I said, acceptance is the secret sauce to res, of resilience. And acceptance over time has you accept all situations. And I got to tell you, so here's a perfect example. Swing thought, Hundy P's get set for this. So last year, when I was, you know, kind of not in the best place mentally, I had the senior am qualifier, and I went for the green on four of the five par fives, <clears throat> never made a par, and missed it by a couple, shot 83. So this year, I'm on the 18th hole of the senior qualifier. I just birdied 17. I am um, at that point, I'm eight over par, and at these, th- which I told you, I was playing horribly. <clears throat> so I'm eight over par, and I'm thinking these things, usually 80 or less, get you in. It's a 485-yard, I'm losing my voice, 
485 yard par five, which I could easily hit in two. With me so far? Yep. But I remembered from last year, I said, Howard, sure, you could hit driver, but I don't know this hole. I've never played it before. I don't know what's over that hill. We're just going to have to try and make the best we can without driver. So I hit hybrid, seven iron, pitching wedge, and made a 35-foot putt. Now, what I wasn't going to do was make seven. And I and I thought to myself, if nothing else, I'm going to give myself a chance to make par. The best chance to do the best I can. Forget par, just what's the best I can do. And I didn't think hitting driver. Because I, if I had a good drive, I could hit driver, you know, three iron. But I said, no, I'm not going to do that. And yeah. that's some good learning there. Exactly. And what I, what I think is that, but it's hard to learn those lessons. I mean, all, life is difficult in so many ways. And it takes us being through the same situations in many different phases of our lives to finally get the learning. And sometimes failing at those things. As you said earlier, it's not easy. Oh, absolutely. It's the hardest game going. Um, no, the the idea that you know you have to have you have to have a little suffering to get to some learning. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And the one thing I, w- I just wanted to make mention of, I was thinking about it earlier, is that you know this this resilience or grit that you've developed this that that we've been talking about that you exhibited you know in the mid am and in your senior qualifying that being able to hang in and and play and like you know grind for a double um, the. The reason you're able to do that now more is that you've seen how that how that works for you. You've had some success doing that. You see that oh, that does work. When I do hang in, as opposed to give up or get angry, and so now you've got some like again evidence to build on. Yeah, resilience. How it works. So I'm gonna I'm gonna continue with this, and um, in you know we, <laughs> we. Oh man, it's just—it's a hard, hard game, and the learning is—is is hard to come by. But slowly but surely, if you keep on with this stuff and um, not look for it on the range with, think it's purely technical, you know that. Well, I did. I, you know, we should. Yeah, I—I I know where you're going with this. I was going to say, you know, we don't, and 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 there is a technical side to this. If I may, just jump in. I'm not sure. Were you were you, were you finished that point? Yeah, kind of, but it's, it's, unfortunately, most average golfers, I'll say, they still think that Nirvana is in, uh, is in a correct weight no, shift. Or well, something. no, they, they think that, you know, and they and getting back to what I said, what we talked about at the beginning of the show is, you know, it's a real ego hit for a lot of us. And, you know, part of the mental thing is to kind of learn to enjoy the process. But there is a, there's a place for correct standing and holding and there's a place to learn how to do the motion as best that your body will allow but the trick is when you're playing the game you know to play the game let's uh what do you what do you say we close it off there uh well that was such words of wisdom how could we top that you just need to let that kind of like resonate out there timmy it's tim tim it's not a contest (laughs) <laughs> um, Tim's new book is called the show. Tim's new book is called um, The Feeling of Greatness and I uh, oh, no. couldn't recommend it higher if you want Tim to uh, turn your uh, life around Tim what is your email address sir <laughs> my email address is uh, tim at o'connorgolf.ca the same 
as my website, which is O'ConnorGolf.ca. And what is the? Um, you have an offer. Are you still the uh, a, a chance to uh, have a uh, complimentary? Um, no, that ex- that little is that expired. That expired June thirtieth. Okay. I'll, I'll be making another offering with with something a little bit different, probably okay. for August. Um, but for some of our um, our real avid fans uh, and fans of the Mo book, I'm going to have a uh, a launch party on Monday, July seventeenth. Uh, so if uh, you know, it'd be great to see a lot. Are the details? Uh, well, here's, are the details on your website? Not yet. They will well, we, be. I tell you what, we'll also put our, the details on uh, our Facebook page, page. Yeah, which, yeah, by yeah. the way, we'd like you to like. If you could do that, um, that would be great because. You know, I think there'd be more people that inter- if they. I think if more people knew about us, I think the uh, the more we'd have, you know, more people interested. Yeah, well, we also urge everyone to, uh, you know, to to subscribe to it and uh, give us a review and give us some some feedback so we can know what we're doing well and what we can improve on. So, uh, also, don't forget, TaylorMade, the uh, number one driver in golf. Uh, let's see. Today is the, I think, the fourth round I've used the new M2. And I would just say, be careful, citizens. It's a, uh, it's a very powerful item. And uh, I've had some uh, very interesting results. I'd say this. My, um, the, the best drive I've hit all year was like two days ago um, with this driver. It was insane. Just really quickly, I'll tell the... Uh, so it's just so you know, it's not been all like shooting low scores. On men's night last week, I made two eagles and a birdie, and I shot 81. <laughs> it, was a, it was a pretty erratic round. But that yeah. was my first round with the new M2, so I, I hit two par fives and two. By the way, that's the first time in my life I've ever done that. Wow. I, I mean, I've had an eagle before, but never but two, two never two in the same yeah. round. That's pretty wild. In fact, well, I've, on, I've been using my uh, – sorry, go ahead, man. I was going to say, on that nine, the nine that I made, the t- I made two eagles on one nine. I made two wow. eagles and shot f- one over. <laughs> so I was a little erratic. Well, what were you going to yeah, say about your M1? Well, I've uh, yeah, I got new. I got the whole new uh, right through the bag putter to, to driver. Um, the day we did our last podcast, so that was about two weeks ago, and um, it's taken some adjustments. But now it's starting to, to kick in really nicely. Dude, I played um, with you. The didn't I play with you the first night you had those irons? That's right. You're hitting them forever. Yeah, I was still taking some adjustments. Uh, yeah, it, like I've had to adjust to how far I hit them. For God's sake, well, that's what but, I'm saying. Yeah, uh, that's a so, great endorsement. Yeah, it is. And um, also just getting used to how the, like the new M1 head, I think it's a little larger than last year's. And I kind of had to get used to how it looked uh, at a dress. And, uh, but uh, no, I'm, I'm loving it. And this new uh, mallet uh, putter, uh, I always had the, um, kind of like the old style putter that kind of looked, I don't know, this might be heresy, but it used to look like the Ping Answer putter, you know, back from years ago. So now I'm using more of a mallet putter. I'm loving it. Okay, everyone. We'll see you next time on Swing Thoughts. Hang on. Hang on. Are you still there? Yep.